Cleaning Up is brought to you by the Liebreich Foundation and the Gilardini Foundation. My guest today is Claude Thurm. He's the Minister for Spatial Planning and Energy in Luxembourg. Between 1999 and 2018, he was a member of the European Parliament. He was vice chairman of the Green Group at the European Parliament. His fingerprints are all over most of the major energy legislation that was passed during that time. Please join me in welcoming to Cleaning Up, Claude Thurm. Claude, welcome to Cleaning Up. Uh, good evening. So tell me where you are right now. Are you as locked down as we are here in London? So in, in Luxembourg, we have still uh, a lockdown light, uh, but uh, our figures are a bit too high. So maybe that uh, we will have to tighten it. So it's and uh, every meeting of the government, we are really torn between, uh, OK, uh, yeah, how do we need, need to shut down or should we keep uh, the economy up? So it's it's tough. It's, it's tough decisions. So it's, it's not easy. But for the moment, you're still allowed to do things like uh, go out for a walk with the dog, go out for a run and so on. So the good thing about Luxembourg is that it's, it's not as densely populated like a city like London. So we do not need to do these restrictions, which I find really hard, uh, which is uh, one kilometer around your, your house, a bit like in France. So here, even when in, in, in March, April, we did very, so almost a complete lockdown, people were allowed to, to walk out and even to take a car to go to a, a forest. So, and we have a lot of uh, beautiful forests. We have some nice parks in the city and that helped to keep the mood of the people uh, up and running. Yes, I was hearing today from a friend that in Greece, uh, there's a thriving business in, in renting dogs because you're not allowed to go for a walk unless you have a dog. So now people are renting dogs. It's terrible. It's not, it shouldn't be funny, but it is of course slightly. Uh, amusing in the, in the midst of this terrible pandemic. In the age of internet, that's now much easier, probably. Right, right. Now, I want to actually, um, I, I was hoping that you would say something like, you know, I went for a run today because then I could take you back to your, uh, your, your distant past just to give our, uh, our audience a, a feel for who you are as a person. You started as a sports, uh, you studied sports and you were a teacher. Yes, so my, my first uh, hobby in life was sports. My father had a, a cafe, uh, which was the place where, where the, the football clubs, the, the basket club, handball, they all, all the, 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 the basically their, the, the, how do you call this, their social, uh, they were, were seated in, officially in, in my father's uh, cafe. And so I, I was with that uh, all my, my, my childhood. And, and then I was so uh, captured by that that I decided to, to make it uh, my profession. So I was a teacher for sports uh, in, right. in secondary schools. And I did that um, full time until I, I think I was 26, 27. And then uh, half time, uh, I was a, a Friends of the Earth, uh, Luxembourg uh, climate and energy campaigner. So, so that's a bit how I started to get involved in national politics and also in, in European politics. And then very relatively quickly, you became a member of the European Parliament in, in 1999, if I'm not wrong. Yes, that was a bit of a funny story because 
I had uh, created a Climate Alliance Luxembourg after having been as an NGO representative in Rio de Janeiro in, in 92. Uh, that was not a big success. And when coming back, I, I helped to, to get the local authorities involved in, in, in climate uh, issues. And that um, allowed me to, to, to get closer to some members of the Green Party. And shortly before, uh, so it, it was end of uh, 98, uh, I, I managed to get on the list of the Green Party. I, I was not engaged in, in political party politics because the NGO policy, Friends of Sears in Luxembourg, was that you are independent from political parties. And then I was elected. Uh, and the good thing was at that time, uh, the Greens in the European Parliament didn't really have an energy campaigner. And so uh, I was... Uh, I, I was filling this, this void, so I, I became the, the coordinator for, for energy and for industrial policy of the Greens in 1999. Okay, now we'll get on to, we'll get on to the, um, European, the, the uh, European Parliament uh, phase of your life. I'm just fascinated by these kind of points where people's lives change. So when you asked um, to be added to the list for the Green Party in, in 1998, did you do a lot of thinking about it? Did you understand that this could well change your life? Had they said no, would you have kind of come back again and again until they said yes? Or was that sort of a spur of the moment thing? No, it was, uh, I think I was walking in, in uh, I don't know, it was the Swiss or the French Alps, in probably in, in, in 97. And at that time, I was also member of the executive committee of Friends of CS Europe. And we always discussed a uh, we have to go to the European Parliament and lobby these guys. And once sitting in the, I, I was saying, look, but go go yourself. <laughs> and, and then, uh, I, I, yeah, probably these kind of things happen. It's possible in smaller countries, and because I was close to some Greens, because there was nobody really uh, very very fond of going to the European Parliament, I got into the list, and uh, it, it took me. Uh, a beer uh, to, 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 to bribe one of the guys uh, who, who and, and then uh, somebody, uh, one or two others to, who to said, um, this is a good guy. He, he knows that he comes from outside. It, it will be good for our campaign. Good. And then I was in. And, and you know, the subtitle uh, for cleaning up is leadership in an age of climate change. And, you know, sometimes it strikes me that people don't do the most basic things, like ask whether they themselves could stand for election or, you know, we have a lot of, um, a lot of people work incredibly hard in NGOs and in all sorts of ways, but they don't, they don't make the jump to say, I'm going to be a candidate. And in fact, you know, um, a number of people have told me I should be a candidate and I kind of hang, hang back. But you just said, no, that's, that's, that's going to be it. You're going to do it. Yeah, good. I think you need leadership uh, also in NGOs. I think you need leadership in, in, uh, in, in business yeah. and, uh, and, and good. And, and for me, it was almost a natural continuity of uh, being a climate or an energy activist uh, at the NGO level and then having the opportunity to have a bit of a, uh, a longer stick or, or more leverage by moving yeah. to the Parliament. So, and then, so you were then an MEP from 1999 through until 2018. So 19 years uh, as an MEP and your fingerprints are pretty much over all of the legislation, everything that kind of happened around energy in that period. Um, you either led or you were the rapporteur or in some way you're involved. Is that a fair statement? Uh, it's a fair statement. Uh, and why was it so? Because um, as, as I was the green coordinator, 
uh, I uh, basically was able to pick uh, the bigger files for the Greens. And uh, in the European Parliament, each and every legislation is basically decided by six or eight uh, members of parliament from different political groups. And because I was involved in energy already 10 years before I came to the European Parliament, I had, of course, a certain expertise. So it was this combination of uh, being uh, basically one of the leaders of the Greens in the European Parliament, plus bringing the, the expertise. And as an NGO person before, I was uh, used to work with uh, different political party cultures. So I knew how a conservative roughly thinks. I knew how, how you can approach a socialist. And by the way, and that's something I don't know if that's, that's really known in, 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 in UK, is the Lib Dems, the British Lib Dems, were basically my best ally and almost all EU legislation on efficiency, on renewables, getting the market right, uh, getting uh, transmission system operators to work together. It was the first thing I always did is uh, getting uh, a good lip time like uh, Nick Clegg at a certain moment or Fiona Hall afterwards uh, to, to, to be on the file with me. Then we, 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 we tried to get a, a progressive socialist uh, or social democrat, which is not always the case. You have a, in the social democrats, you can also have a lot of, uh, a bit of uh, reactionary people when it comes to energy. And then uh, we said we, had, we were close to a majority. And then the trick was to divide a bit the conservatives between conservatives, maybe like you, who are progressive <laughs> on, on energy uh, and other conservatives. So we were, we, and that was the secret uh, of, of winning almost all legislations in the parliament with progressive majorities. And that pulled up uh, reasonably good proposal of EU commission, which then we, we pulled up by our vote in the parliament. And then of course, afterwards, it's, it's the issue of negotiating with, with the council. And that is what took me mo most years or much longer to be, to have enough connections uh, in Madrid, in Berlin, in London, in, in, uh, in, in Paris, in, in the bigger countries, in order to also try to, to work with certain important governments or, or to, uh, sometimes to divide them. Right. Well, this is, so this is fascinating because this is an environment where coalitions, you can do nothing without a coalition, which is a little bit different from other political systems. And I want to come back to how you sort of slice and dice different political positions. That's fascinating. But just for our, um, our audience, what we try and do with cleaning up is we're not trying to talk to the great experts. They may well be interested. I hope they are. But we're also trying to have a broad audience. So you've, you are uh, describing the process as an MEP, that's a member of European Parliament, but you've also mentioned the council and you've mentioned that, well, you haven't mentioned, but there's also the commission. Yes. So how does it work in terms of the, the what was the, the, so, you know, let's do, if we could do EU policy sausage making 101, how, does, how do you get a piece of legislation, the very, the sort of the, the you know, the, like I say, the 101 version, the short version, how do those three groups play? So the European Commission is the one who, who basically drafts the, the first proposal. Uh, and uh, so of course, while drafting that, uh, you have to try to influence them to push them already. And for example, uh, on, on, on the coal issue, we, we this idea to cap, uh, uh, the subsidies for coal with the 550 gram per, per, per uh, kilowatt hour, 
uh, I first had to work a lot on commission to get it in. Good. And then you have a, a text from commission, which has, uh, so, and, and that text is sent in parallel to the governments, the 28, now 27 governments, uh, which we call technically the council. And then you have uh, almost every week, you have an energy working group of the 27 or 28 governments where the civil servants sit together and, and then analyze this piece of legislation and they do a position, a negotiation position, a mandate for the governments. And in parallel, you have the European Parliament where, where, which votes also uh, a text uh, often in, in, the, in, the, in the respective committee, which is the uh, Energy and Industry Committee. And, and so that's the committee on which that's the committee on which you sat for. Um... And that is so. so uh, it, it's important that you have a grip uh, on on on, uh, on on the committee where where you have a lot of leg legislations done. And then, of course, often uh, we had a more ambitious position. Uh, let's say we we had uh, twenty five percent of renewables uh, for 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 twenty twenty. The governments had maybe. Uh, lowered it to, to, to 17. And, and then you have this kind of bargaining uh, and, and that's called technically trialogue. So you have commission in the room as a neutral honest broker and you have uh, the, the, the country who, who runs the presidency during six months uh, for, for the 28 or 27 governments who has a mandate, which I described before. And then you negotiate hours uh, hours, hours, nights, 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 and, and then you get to legislation. And the good thing is, once the legislation is done, uh, every government in Europe has to apply it. So you do legislation for 450 million. Uh, now that uh, Britain is out, I, I haven't done the numbers yet. <laughs> so it, it's still big. It's still a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people. So it's, a and, continent. it's a continent. And what is often not understood is, when Europe does the legislation, that has an impact which is even bigger than Europe because Europe is still, uh, uh, or the European Union is still a big part of the world market. So when we did legislation, for example, on chemicals, the Chinese copied it. Uh, and uh, even in, in, in US, it was largely uh, the, the same legislation adopted two or three years later because for the big multinationals, uh, it would have been um, much more difficult to have different quality of products, one very high environmentally for Europe and then producing other stuff for other markets. So, so and, and that is why, why this European Union uh, has an influence, uh, not only on, on European uh, citizens and, and life, but also at global level. Okay, so now let's talk about the, the, this kind of political slicing and dicing, the segmentation. I've said many times that I think the key core constituency that one has to speak to in all of this is the centre-right. And I say that, of course, because that's me, uh, so I'm self-centred. But also, the reason I say it is because you kind of get, on climate action, you get a lot of the time that, you know, the, the, the folks on the left are all persuaded, committed. I personally don't believe that they have the best policies, but they're kind of on board. Then you get the people who are, you know, further to the right, and they'll never be persuaded but if you want to get a consensus, and I think we need to start with consensus as of the sort of 60, 65%, because you know, when things get tough, some people will all kind of peel off in different directions and you will never get to that 60, 65% without the center right. That's my first reason. 
And my second reason is that that's generally the business community. The business community is generally not extreme on either way. There may be some center left, but a lot of them are center right. And without them and their resources and their engagement in the innovation process, in the you know, asset allocation, you're going nowhere. So I think that that's always the key constituency. But is that how you, would you agree with that? Or am I just kind of um, shining too much light on people whom I happen to agree with? No, I think um, years where basically I had a majority without the conservatives, I, I, I was happy to do a majority, even if it was a tiny one, because that allowed me to, to have more ambition before negotiating with the government. But uh, there were years where, where basically we needed, uh, and then, uh, as I, I explained before, you have, uh, for example, the Portuguese uh, conservatives, very progressive on energy politics, the Greek conservatives, um, more progressive than others, uh, and then uh, Swedish, we had, I had a great guy, uh, Anders Wickman uh, from Sweden. Mm. Uh, I know Anders. Yes. And Anders was looks at and, and then uh, you have a one of the but, most but Anders is Anders is not really a conservative I mean he's a club of Rome um... yeah, but, but he was on, on the ticket of the Swedish Conservative Party so he was sitting in the European Parliament uh, on with the Conservative Party and, and that was right. extremely helpful and probably the most powerful uh, member of European Parliament is a guy who is called Peter Liese who is a German uh, MEP and I think he has been there longer than myself and he is on the environmental committee, and he is often he's, he's very convinced that uh, we need to to move on environments that we have to pr protect climate change. And he is often a deal maker because he he's often the swing. Yeah. So what, what's fascinating here is um, the you know I call it the sausage making, and it is really complex, but it's also playing out not just in the. European Parliament or in the EU with the Commission and the Council, but of course it plays out in every country. Um, there's an analogous process working within Germany about people who want to move more quickly to uh, clean transportation and some people want to champion this approach and some people want to champion that. And, uh, and so this kind of coalition building, it's ferociously important, but I think, and we heard um, a couple of episodes ago, I think it was episode 18 from Kande Yamkela, Sustainable Energy for All, about his process of putting together the coalitions just within the, within the UN to yes. get anything done was years of campaigning. It was like four-dimensional chess to get stuff done. And yeah. you know, when you got people like, like Kande and yourself, then it gets done. And if you don't have people like that, my sense is it doesn't get done. So I think you need a, so I think you need to be respected with your expertise. That is probably one, one of, and then of course you need to, to work a lot on, 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 Okay, uh, who 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 is who is where? And and the, the, the fascinating thing for me in the European Parliament was in order to understand um, who of the conservatives, for example, uh, I can win over. I had, of course, to understand what is the uh, energy policy of Sweden, <laughs> what is yeah. the one of Portugal, what is the one of Greece, and then of course, uh, and sometimes also, what is the personal commitment of, of that policymaker or of that policymaker. So now I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, president, I'm not sure if he's called the president-elect or the presumed president-elect, uh, Joe Biden, is going to have some of this sausage making, some of this coalition building to do, because he's got, on the one hand, some, um, some pretty extreme, you know, Green New Deal, uh, you know, flank of his own party. But on the other hand, there may be 
I don't know, and this is maybe the, the question, there may be some of the Republicans that can be won over to support, perhaps it's a carbon uh, fee and dividend uh, program or a very heavily innovation-based energy, uh, clean energy program. What's your advice um, you know, to either to him or to his incoming Secretary of Energy? Should he go, should he go left or should he go right? Should he go to the Green New Deal folks? own the center yeah but but mr biden is longer in politics than myself and he has i think a real uh, reputation of having been an engineer of making coalitions and 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 coalitions uh, who won uh, in, in 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 the american political system i think without biden obamacare would never have uh, gone through so uh, obama sent him to the to the house to and, and to, the, to to in order to get it done, and then of course when it comes to energy politics, it's also about business. So Texas has fantastic wind conditions. So so of course you you will look around and then uh, on for example on 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 car making, look with Elon Musk, uh, I think the 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 the, the equilibrium of, of uh, electric versus uh, gasoline or diesel. There is not a lot of diesel outside this few German cheating diesels. <laughs> so, so I think that is where, where probably he will also look at. But um, look, um, who am I to tell such an experienced policyman? But it's it's so great, and and I think um, maybe history will say we were such close to lose the climate battle because another four years of Trump. I think that was that was Trump was uh, was uh, a real break in the system, and Biden uh, he's committed, and that will bring a completely different uh, move. Also, because the critical mass also in in business of batteries, uh, electric cars uh, for for America, what is really important is offshore wind, where we have a lot of European companies, if it's uh, Siemens as as a technology provider or Ørsted and and others. So, so um, I think it's, 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 it will be a fascinating, fascinating moment to work now uh, with the American administration. Well, it certainly, it certainly uh, feels like an exciting moment in history. Uh, before I mean, we may be able to come back to that, depending on time, but I, I do want to, um, to to just return to you know you've got um, f return from the U.S. just for a moment to um, Europe um, before you return to Luxembourg politics. There were a number of key pieces of legislation. What are your kind of greatest hits? What are the most important ones? Because you left before the European Green Deal, did you not? Yes. So I, I left in 2018 uh, because one of my friends in the Luxembourgish government died. We were three months before elections, so so I definitely had to come back. We won the elections, and, and therefore I, I, I stayed also now as the Minister for Energy. So I think for me. But what are the two or three most important? I think um, we we broke up the electricity monopolies by and that I was a rapporteur with uh, Nick Leck as the shadow in, in uh, I think that was two, 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 three, um, where we basically started to say unbundling of grid with supply and, and trade is, is, is key. And I think that that is that was so important. Uh, yes. in order to get uh, more independence from the grid, because otherwise uh, the monopolists, they would have done much more tricks against the renewables and, and getting renewables connected. So I think uh, let's not underestimate that we created uh, a transparent market 
uh, also by, by slicing, in a certain sense, these big giants. Um, the second is, uh, of course, the legislation which, uh, which, uh, which is called eco-design, which is standards for uh, refrigerators, uh, TVs, everything. And that is the most progressive standard setting machine in the world. And that was a legislation which was, by the way, done during a British presidency uh, in, in 24, 25 or 26. And, and that helps, of course, the, 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 the energy efficiency in Europe has really gone up and we set demand down. Then we come to uh, and another piece is um, we have a legislation on near zero energy buildings, which was my amendment, which I, I, I won uh, to the very end. So out of uh, this year, every building in Europe has to be a near zero energy. Uh, and that is because new buildings is a, a part of the cake, but it, it, is, it is an important cake. And then, of course, uh, probably the, the one for which I, I'm most known, I think, in energy circle is the Renewable Energy Directive, uh, which was finalized in, in December 2008, and which ends uh, this December. In and 2020, yes. 2020, and, and look, uh, you have been uh, one of, of the, 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 the careful observers of, of what happened, especially to the costs. So, so yeah. without that directive, uh, I think the volume would not have been there. Uh, and of course, you can discuss uh, feeding versus others. And I don't know if, if you are aware, the one man who helped to win this uh, uh, directive is Ed Milliband. When his brother was a minister, <laughs> I, 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 I got nowhere with him on, on binding targets. And then luckily, uh, Gordon Brown uh, did a, a change in the government and Ed came in, and Ed is uh, really convinced. Uh, he, he understood immediately why we need binding targets to create an investment certainty. And he did this against whole, the whole British uh, administration. His own administration was fiercely yeah. against. I, don't, I, I, I know where you stand on it, but I tell you, without that, uh, offshore wind in, 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 in UK would not have uh, been well, developed as, as, as it was. And uh, of course, without binding targets, uh, can you imagine any investments in Eastern Europe uh, in, in, in the kind of yeah. um, post-communistic oligopoly system which you very much still have in these countries? Yeah, it's a funny thing. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole program to be done on what was Ed Miliband's legacy, because, of course, he also uh, presided over the passage of the Climate Change Act, which which was um, the, put into law our uh, climate change obligations. But on the other hand, um, the you know the Labour administration uh, over that period missed every single climate and energy target that was put in front of it, because you know and and it was just I mean didn't miss by a little bit it missed by a country mile, yeah, um, and, and so you know there was some very interesting things that happened in the inertia. You have in the, the problem is, however, also the inertia which you have in the system. I think when of you course. come in, uh, you you can you 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 need two three four years before yeah. you see the results. And I think Ed had hardly two years. He was a minister for energy. And yeah. I think, was it for two years? So, uh, But I would, I would argue still that the, the big moves in the UK were things like um, moving to reverse auctions, which really pushed down the costs. I mean, that was, the, that was incredibly important. That was, um, uh, then there was the decision to step out of coal, to shut coal. There was the the floor price for carbon. Yeah. I mean, these are all extraordinary. I mean, and, and the funny thing is, when that when we do that program, that history of that, 
I don't even know how these things happened, right? I'm a conservative. I'm a member of the UK Conservative Party. And I have no idea how these decisions were taken. They seem to me to be almost like deus ex machina. We woke up one day and, um, and, and, and Osborne had put in a floor price for carbon. I don't know. Oh, they never talked about it. There was no syndication of that in the industry. It just suddenly happened. Good. Well, it was very effective. I, I was... I was uh... At that times, I, I, I was really often in, in London. I have uh, a good friend uh, sitting in the British administration who worked uh, with me very closely uh, when, when we did the, the breakup of the big German and French oligopolies, because that was important for UK, because the UK government was afraid that if uh, that the Germans and the French could block any gas coming uh, over and, and with the North Sea gas going down. So, uh, and, and the carbon floor price was discussed for, for quite some time. And it is a fantastic instrument. The, yeah. the pity is that Germany, uh, last year, when it finally had enough political pressure uh, to move out of coal, Germany would have had the choice to introduce with the rest of Western Europe. Uh, Netherlands was in favor of a carbon floor price, Belgium, Luxembourg, France, Denmark, Austria, and still, and Germany, uh, didn't join and we, we, I, we had done proposals to do a Western Europe carbon floor price because these markets are very much interlinked uh, and Germany refused to do it. And because they refused to do it, now they have to pay billions uh, to the coal companies. So, so uh, the British policy with the carbon floor was a much, much better way than, uh, for example, what Germany has right. now done with the coal Ausstieg. Since I put you on the spot asking what you would advise um, Joe Biden, I'm also going to put you on the spot and ask about, so German, you, there's one mistake that you find that uh, Germany, you know, sort of jumped the wrong way. Um, but also Germany um, pushed for the early exit of its nuclear program. And you're on the record as being anti-nuclear, but the consequence of that was decades more coal. No. How does that feel though? Yeah. No, no. They, that that is. Uh, I'm I'm astonished that you 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 uh, you you tell this story because this story is ADF France interpretation of what happened in Germany. You have to be aware that uh, in 2007 and eight, so before Lehman Brothers, the CO2 price was at 20.25. At that moment, Germany had 50 50 gigawatt of gas gas power plants. And coal was even below. So, and the, 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 the reason why German coal power plants have continued to run is the fact that after Lehman Brothers, the EU ETS, the CO2 price went down and then in the merit order, coal was again better placed than gas. And, and that is the real story. So it, it, coal power plants run because in the merit order, they are before gas. And, and um, because Germany and Germany has, is a fantastic net, net exporter. It's, it's the, the big, even some years, Germany between 2010 and 2020 was a bigger net exporter of electricity than France. So that the coal power plants run was not for to keep up the lights right. in Germany. It was just because we were not able to fix the, the, the CO2 price in the EU trading uh, system. Okay, so, but there is a different interpretation there, which is that Germany basically outsourced its 
um, you know, the, the carbon price to the EU, the EU ETS, of course, was a, was a disaster in that decade. But what was non-negotiable for Germany was shutting its nuclear plants. So it prioritized shutting nuclear over climate action. And you could say maybe that wasn't fully the intention at the time, but it became very clear that that was what was happening. And no action was taken year after year. And even now, Germany is going to shut its coal in 2038. I mean, the UK, the dirty man of Europe, is going to be completely out of coal by 2025. Already, we only have one or two percent. So the mix, the UK saying we're going to keep the nuclear, shift to renewables, shift to some gas and get rid of the coal. I mean, this looks like an absolute blinder of of a policy, even if it was accidental, compared to Germany, surely. Look, Michael, you are known to be a market guy. And now, in order to defend nuclear, <laughs> you suddenly uh, uh, ignore the market. It, it, I, I tell you, it's, there's only one reason, which is the market price. And of course, the German RWE, the German coal companies uh, were happy about it. But uh, it's just not true that German coal, because uh, they, they, the, the, if, if the CO2 price would have been at 25, 30, 35, Germany would have closed down the nuclear uh, and would have had a lot of gas, power stations very efficient and much, much less coal running. And that would have been the case everywhere in Europe. The, the... How can you talk about a market? I'm sorry to interrupt, but you know, this is, a, this is a fake market, right? Because there's nuclear power creating a large amount of nuclear plants, creating a large amount of near zero carbon power, very cheap at the margins, and it's being discriminated against and pushed out because there's all this money being pushed towards renewables, 2020, 20 binding target, et cetera, et cetera. And there's poor old nuclear producing exactly the commodity we need, but without the support. Yeah. And then you call, then you say it's a market. It's not a market. It's nothing like no, a market. It's, uh, come on, it's, it's, uh, of course, it's, it's an artificial market and uh, it's a drama. It's a real drama that Europe was not able to fix its uh, CO2 pricing uh, between uh, two two ten and 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 uh, it, yeah. it took us, I think, until two sixteen two seventeen uh, with a lot of tricks to 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 get this up and running. And and that is uh, I, I and look, uh, we were fighting for it. And uh, uh, look, we just didn't get uh, it done, especially also against the the industrial lobby. Not the I think at the end of the day, the energy political the the energy lobbies. Uh, had seen that renewables were mature enough that they could change into another business. But it was the big German industry, steel, yeah. chemicals, they, they could, yeah. and, and it's, it's of course, it, and, and if, if the Greens uh, would have been in, in a German government earlier, uh, you may be right that Germany would have, as a government, fought harder to get the CO2 price higher. But it's, again, so I, I, I repeat it, it's, it's, it's completely wrong. Uh, it's, it's not renewables, uh, um, in and then uh, nuclear out. It's it's the change was between gas and coal. Right. Uh, that that is that that is. Uh, and, and and. Okay. So we. <laughs> I got two other things that I want to cover, and and I know that if I come back and say, oh, well, so it was the failure of the EU institutions to get the right carbon price, and then we'll get on to Brexit, and then we'll never be finished. I'll have to uh, I'll have to pour myself a second beer. But the two topics I would love to cover would be the EU Green Deal, which you now 
participate in as a minister, a minister of energy in Luxembourg, and also the global negotiations. So uh, in, in whichever order you would prefer, perhaps, perhaps let's start with the EU Green Deal, because that was where you were just handing over when you, when you went back to Luxembourg, and you're still involved in that very much. So what, what is, what, is, it, is it as you would want? What are you pleased about? What do you think is, is weak, if anything? Yeah, so what is, what is great is that finally we are learning a bit the lessons from Lehman Brothers, and this time it's much more about creating future-orientated industry infrastructure. So there is this 30% uh, earmarking uh, to go into climate. The big, uh, the weak thing of this is that the money will go to national governments. And so uh, what we need today is... And when, when you say the money, that's the trillion, 1.1 yeah, trillion, trillion Green money Deal not, pot. Of money. Yeah. The, the trillion money is, is, all the money is going down or is, is going to national. And uh, I, I was fighting to get a part of, uh, of the pot of the money to stay at the European level in order to get a quick rollout of, uh, of electricity grid in, in, in the North Sea and in the Baltic Sea. Uh, offshore wind, of course, visit. Electrolyzers uh, put at the right place. Uh, we need urgently charging stations for, 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 for electric cars, but even more, we need to, to know to build up the charging stations for electric trucks. Uh, we need uh, money for renovation. And the, the bad thing is that uh, that it's only 30% of earmarking for climate, and it's not uh, done in, in a way to, to pull, to, to have big European projects. And come on, we, we are late on climate change. So we need big things to, to move quick, and we need very fast progress on, on offshore wind. Uh, and, and, and if everybody is staying in its national box, that will just not happen. And, and the sad thing is, of course, that with Brexit, the whole rollout of offshore wind coordinated uh, is, gets even more difficult. I, I hear you on the interconnections, on the grid issues. I hear, and there's definitely a need to coordinate on things like, I'm so glad you mentioned electric trucks. Our, um, our guest on, I'm not sure which episode it was, I think it was um, something like episode 15 or 16 was Alke Hoekstra, whom you may know, uh, a Dutch um, researcher with the TU Eindhoven, who is absolutely convinced and very convincing that we're going to get electric trucks, not fuel cell trucks. Um, but yeah, we need to coordinate those sorts of decisions. But don't, I don't, not sure I'm convinced we need to spend the money at the central level. You're very convinced that, that the EU is a good custodian of money and spending. No, and also because EU is doing a much more uh, a much more blending of money than before. So it's, via, it's, via uh, the EIB. Via the EIB, but, but yeah. the EIB uh, needs, uh, so is it, why is the EIB, or when is the EIB strong? When it has a lot of money, billions from the EU budget to put as a guarantee and as a leverage. So, so the, 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 the one thing I think which Juncker, when he was a, a president of commission, did well is that he, he uh, tried to better use EU money uh, and the best money is of course the one which you can blend because then you leverage, uh, leverage more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and what about some of the um, elements? There's the renovation wave and very topical right now is hydrogen. <laughs> so hydrogen is, uh, this hype around hydrogen is making me a bit nervous and also a bit sad because uh, 
look, it's so easy as long as you don't have so uh, elect, so you you need renewables. Without you, it doesn't make sense to 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 make hydrogen out of fossil. So you need renewables. You have to build it up, and then you have an electrolyzer where you you where you lose a lot of of energy because of the the lower efficiency. So uh, and and therefore hydrogen is a very expensive uh, product, and it it will stay expensive. So uh, which means we have to use it in areas where electricity, which will be much cheaper, uh, is, 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 it cannot go. So um, some I call it, in the refinery- way, I'm laughing because there was a Heineken slogan. I'm drinking Heineken. There was a Heineken slogan in the 1970s and 80s saying that Heineken reaches the parts that other beers cannot reach. Yeah, and for and me, hydrogen so, yeah, yeah, is so. to decarbonize the parts of the economy that other technologies, electricity principally, cannot reach. Yes. That's what it should be used for. And then, uh, and, and in this moment, we have a fight about, uh, so because there is a lot of money in this EU Green Deal, now uh, I, I'm afraid that a lot of stupid things can happen, which is uh, subsidizing uh, electrolyzers, which are just linked to the national energy mix, uh, and, and, and then not on the right places. So, so I'm fighting in these days uh, to get a locational signal uh, for electrolyzers, uh, and then, of course, the next thing is that we need to think about a pure hydrogen uh, tr transportation pipeline, uh, pipeline transportation backbone. And yesterday I had a really encouraging uh, talk to, to one investor who thinks that why, because in Spain you can do solar for something between 10 and 15 euro cents uh, and now building up a, a gigafactory for, for having the scaling up of electrolyzers a bit like we did for wind turbines or for, for batteries. And that's a combination of the two. Uh, he will be able to produce uh, hydrogen for 1.5 uh, euro yeah. per, per kilogram. And that is what you need. But um, the, 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 the tricky question, so, and, and he thinks that every electricity, renewable electricity, which is not below 15 uh, euro cent per kilowatt hour, is just too expensive. And that, uh, of course, questions now uh, also the issue of the story which, which a lot of us thought would be offshore wind plus electrolyzer. So uh, we, 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 have, yeah. uh, we have to, so, and, and anyway, um, if we, we need to electrify heating, we need to electrify transport, that is easy gains. So and for that, we need a lot of, that, that will raise the electricity demand so we need a lot of renewables now. And therefore, uh, so the good news is uh, the commission is now has taken out a lot of our arguments on why offshore wind is so important. Offshore wind is now more than North Sea. It's also in the Baltic Sea. It's even in the Black Sea. Uh, we have floating offshore, which I think is the next big thing which will happen in renewables. Uh, and, and so we, we, what the most important thing to do now is massive acceleration of renewable output and that will only happen if the grid companies uh, do clever things so so with copper alone we will not be able to do it we have to bring much more intelligence also uh, to the uh, to to the to 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 the, the to the power grid and and um well, let's leave the renovation wave because I want to come back to the you know so what what you're what are you able to do from within luxembourg to what extent can you still work on, you know, offshore wind? You're like one of the few European countries that has no coastline at all. So how do you work on offshore wind? Tell me. 
uh, I'm part of the North Sea uh, uh, countries because the North Sea countries are coordinated by the Benelux Secretariat. So I'm sitting at the table and I can tell you uh, with uh, Giles Dixon from Wind Europe, we have pushed up uh, the ambition uh, and uh, we are now fighting to get stable in investment uh, instruments. And in Luxembourg, I have uh, five actors. The one you have mentioned, EIB is the biggest financier. Uh, I have also investment funds in Luxembourg, we are, which are big in offshore wind. We have ESPON. Do you know what ESPON is? ESPON is the Center of Excellence of Commission on Spatial Planning. And now we are orientating them also to maritime spatial planning because one of the most important things to get quick wins in offshore wind is we have to plan beyond national borders. So ESPON, a small unit situated 200 meters from me here, from, from, from uh, where I'm sitting now, is very instrumental on in that. Then I have the NUL, which is one of the big suppliers, now also thinking about from a supplier for the offshore wind industry to become a project uh, manager. And then five is um, we have fought for having a possibility for landlocked countries to, to, to um, tender together with uh, the, the countries which have uh, coast. So, and, and this will be a central piece of the uh, commission's document on offshore wind, which will come out soon. Uh, and so my intention is to do what I can do reasonably in Luxembourg with solar, with onshore wind, uh, some biomass. Uh, and then I will uh, try to get in a joint tender with Belgium uh, uh, for a big offshore with Denmark, uh, with, with whomever. So, so I, I was once in Copenhagen on the offshore wind conference. I said, Luxembourg is a superpower when it comes to offshore wind. <laughs> Very good. And have you looked at one see, quick see, question see, see, for, Lux yeah. for Luxembourg? Have you looked at geothermal recently? Yes, and uh, we are now pioneering uh, geothermal. Uh, we it, at uh, what is it? Um, uh, Three hundred fifty meters, probably. We we can get to water, which is hot enough to heat uh, whole areas. And I'm also the minister for spatial planning. And so my other big thing is, uh, so we are building. Uh, we, we, Luxembourg is the fastest growing uh, OECD country in population. We are growing faster in population than Mexico. So uh, we have a real housing crisis mm. in the sense that prices are almost as mad as in London now. Uh, and uh, so what we do now is we are recycling uh, old industrial sites. And then of course, my, my, my hobby now is to get this done completely uh, car free or the cars are just parked at the, at the, uh, in, in parking houses uh, and then from there we, we go with bikes with, with uh, right. uh, electric scooters and so on. So spatial planning is very important in the mar so maritime spatial planning will be key for, for right. yeah. and uh, ur urban planning will be so without urban planning because uh, you will never get uh, to the, the to, to zero. And we need to get to zero quick. Why? Because the so-called lifestyle changes. I own a car or I don't own a car. I take a bus or I take a bike. All of that will only happen at massive scale if the infrastructure is there. Yeah. Therefore, planning and being a, a planning uh, minister is, is, uh, is, uh, is also a, a way to accelerate uh, this. And we are doing a 2050 um, 
a competition between 10 international teams now uh, to, to get uh, to define or to try to define what is a zero carbon territory. So we call this Luxembourg in transition. And it's done not only on, on, on Luxembourg territory because we, we have so we have 300,000 commuters from outside coming every right. day to Luxembourg. So it will be a, a greater Luxembourg or, or a greater region uh, experiment. So, so, and, and so we need also to work beyond technology on uh, getting the right infrastructure and uh, we need to eat less meat. Okay. Michael, wanna, we need to eat less okay. meat. I hope you take this. That's seat. another fabulous um topic uh, it's just uh, and we'll, we'll you know at some point we'll have to have you back on cleaning up to talk about some of the things we've had to move on beyond because the other thing is of course that we're going into cop 26 which is the fifth anniversary of the paris agreement it's a very critical um un uh fccc cop meeting um and you are going to be the you know the, one of the key players uh, you know for your government no doubt with your colleagues from the foreign ministry, ministry I'm guessing. Um, I've asked you for advice to Joe Biden. I've asked you for advice to the Germans, to the, you know, what advice would you have or what are your hopes for COP26 in Glasgow in uh, December next year? So uh, thanks for, for thinking that I'm a key player. Uh, the key player from Luxembourg is my, my colleague, uh, Minister of Environment, Carol Dishbos. She was heading EU in Paris. So she and she is still in in in, in business. So so uh, she with her experience will be a key player in in Glasgow. So probably there is three things which I, I I hope that we we can engineer. One is I think we need to work on G20. Uh, so we, you need to pre-cook uh, with the big countries. The good news is the the, the most recent Chinese statement. Now, from uh, having Trump out of the game and Biden in, I think G20 is extremely important. And we have with Germany, with France, also with uh, UK, I think we have key players. And, and that has to be well coordinated also uh, between the, the, those on, from the European continent. And I still count uh, UK a bit uh, to that family. Uh, we're, the second we're, thing we're, is, still, we're still in Europe. Nothing changed. We didn't, we didn't, go, we didn't move the country. Yeah, uh, I, I, in, in, I always said, look, it's good that we have these interconnection cables because otherwise uh, Britain will drift completely over to <laughs> and to Texan uh, style politics. And with Boris, I think we are a bit on this uh, on this trip. Huh? Uh, so the, the, the second thing is there needs to be money on the table to to get the G77 uh, buy in. I think look, uh, Africa. Uh, they, they don't emit a lot and they have a lot of consequences. So, so we need to help them. The good news is with what we have achieved now on solar panels is we can have solar everywhere in Africa and combining it with IT, with mobile phones. So Africa can be a thrilling continent very quick, but uh, they need uh, some, some uh, money on the table also from, from let's say, the, the, the richer countries or the more industrialized countries. And the third thing is having ex-ante um, important businesses to commit. Uh, I think it's, of course, uh, the renewable industry. Uh, I think we, 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 we have to see if we can get, I don't know, Elon Musk, uh, Dies from Volkswagen and two or three Chinese who produce most of the electric cars to, 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 to do something together. Uh, and, and the one thing where I try to work together uh, with, with 
uh, also with, with uh, other governments is having a conference on standard setting for appliances. So, so minimum standards for, for all kinds of appliances because um, this is a quick win uh, which we can get. And so I, I'm hoping together with uh, Fatih Birol of IEA, uh, also having some contacts uh, with the British government that we, so, so in, in, on all parts of the solutions, we need to have, uh, so, and, and standard setting is, is less business, is more regulation, regulators. So we, so we need to fly in to a meeting or to, to have a video with the, the one who sets the standards in China, in India, in Japan, in, in South Korea, in US, in Europe, if these eight people meet and, and, and try to anticipate, okay, what is, what is the next big thing? Data centers. So, so we need a standard for data centers. Data centers need uh, a performance standard which is below one and not uh, above one. So because we have immersion cooling, so we can now have data centers in the city centers and take the heat which you need anyway, because uh, which we'll have anyway, because you have electricity driving the the the, the, the servers, and this heat uh, is is like having geothermal in the middle of a city. So yeah. this IT servers data centers that's a global industry. So we need global standards. Yeah. So you know earlier I asked you about the sausage making, and I said that it's kind of like four dimensional chess. And um, what I now see is I was wrong. It's not four-dimensional chess, it's five-dimensional chess, because you've got all of these um, uh, international linkages, whether it's around standards, whether it's the COP negotiations, uh, you've got the EU, you've got the countries, you've got the industries within the countries. I mean, you've given us a masterclass in five-dimensional climate and energy chess. So. Unfortunately, we're out of time. We're going to have to leave it there. But I'd really like to thank you uh, for your time with us uh, this evening. Ah, and you've got a book there. What is that book? Nope, that's upside down. There we go. Ah, okay. We're going to put a link, Energy Transformation and Opportunity for Europe by Claude Thurm. And we're going to put a link to that. That's the summary of sausage making. The summary of sausage making. You should give it a subtitle. Five-dimensional chess-based sausage making by Claude Thompson. Good. What we'll do, we'll put a link to that into the show notes. Yeah. Um, is, it, is it a new book? Have you just published it? I, I, I finished it in, in um, uh, end of 17, early of 18. And it's a bit of uh, look when... Uh, and, and then basically I had to move out of process. Right. <laughs> Sometimes in life... Uh, uh, incredible things happen. Huh? Okay, well, but the, 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 the funny thing is, I did the last hundred pages is about what has to happen after 2018. So uh, we can check now if if, uh, if if you and others are up to it. <laughs> very good, very good. And and so thank you very much. My, my only final closing comment on the book, which we'll put a link into the show notes is, I don't recall receiving a signed copy there, Claude. Yeah, that's that why, is, maybe that that's why I, wasn't, I didn't know when it had been published, but I'm sure you remedy that. When I woke up this morning, I said, oh, you, 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 uh, Michael will be so angry at you because he never got the signed copy. Claude, I could never be angry at you. I can only be grateful for the time you've spent. Thank you so much. And I wish you a, a wonderful uh, evening in Luxembourg. See you. Bye-bye.
Bye-bye. So that was Claude Chom, who is now Minister of Spatial Planning and Energy in Luxembourg, but for nearly 20 years was an MEP and deeply involved in all of the energy legislation in Europe during that time, giving us a masterclass in 4D or 5D chess that is required to get energy legislation done en route to net zero. My guest next week on Cleaning Up is one of the great entrepreneurs in smart mobility. Robin Chase is one of the co-founders of Zipcar. She's founded numerous other mobility startups. She's written a book about the sharing economy called Peers Incorporated, is one of the great visionaries and thinkers about the future of transport and the future of our cities. Please join me this time next week. <music>